Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Two men. Fifteen minutes. Eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. His glory I will see. I will Welcome to Text Talk. This is Edwin Crozier. We have sitting in for Andrew today, Jackson Cook. Jackson, glad that you could be here. Good morning. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 17 today. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to go all the way to verse 9. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Well, Jackson, I sure am glad that you're here with us today. I know Andrew is grateful that you get to be a part of this and, and filling in for him when uh, when he needs you to and when you can. And so welcome again. Thank you. And what are you getting out of these first couple of verses of chapter 17? Yeah. So as Brother Roberts would say here, I think you have a couple things going on here. Um, <laughs> he so, would say that. Yeah, you, he would. You've gotten to know him well. I have. I have. So noticing in verse 6 here, the Jews bring their complaints to the authorities, and I really like their word choice here, saying they have turned the world upside down. What are you getting out of that? So, I mean, on the surface, it just seems like they're causing some issues, and maybe they're being dramatic. But I think truly, when we really consider what's going on here, it is kind of the radicalness of Christianity and evangelism. And so truly what it means to evangelize as Christians here, what Paul and Silas are doing in Thessalonica here is that they are turning the world upside down. They are being countercultural. They are stirring the pot, if you will, by preaching Jesus. And it's not going well for uh, the Jews. I thought Christians weren't supposed to do those kinds of things. We're not supposed to stir the pot. We're just supposed to be nice, peaceful, and, and, and not do anything to upset what's going on around us. Not exactly. I don't think that's the case here. We are definitely called to a higher standard in Christ, and it's much more than just sitting in our pews on Sunday and reading our passages. And when it when it talks about turning the world upside down, I know some of the older preachers used to say, and I, I've always appreciated this, that th- they weren't turning the world upside down. The world was already upside down. They were turning it right side up. But the perspective of the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians was, we liked it the way it was. And so you're turning it upside down. Very interesting. That is a good point. Um, the other thing I wanted to notice here kind of concluding the reading here and thinking about the another King Jesus and recalling Caesar, my mind goes back to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 20, 
when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and to the Jews that are talking about paying taxes and whether or not that's lawful to them. And so, you know, Jesus kind of responds with some stern harshness towards them because he recognizes that they're trying to get him to stumble. And what he tells them there in Matthew chapter 20 and verses 20 through 22, I think, is talking about rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and the image that is that bears the coin, and that is Caesar. And so to know what you pay to Caesar is the image of him and his likeness and that inscription on the coin. Whereas he says after that is to render to God what is to God's. And so there's a little bit underlying on the surface there. So what do you think about that? Well, first of all, let me just back up and make sure folks are keeping up with us. That, that other king, Jesus... That's, that's a big statement. They say this, this is the problem. They are teaching another king, Jesus. We are not allowed to have a king other than Caesar. And so this, this is a big deal. It's easy for us to just read right through that phrase. Tying it back to this time when we've got this issue of taxes back in Matthew uh, chapter 22. Uh, great connection there as they really are in this competition. And the Jews had their argument about, should we pay taxes? Should we not pay taxes? And I think there were some that said we should not because that's that's giving tribute to Rome. That's giving credence to Rome. Rome is sin. Rome is anti-God. We should stay away from that as far as possible. Of course, the problem is, if I, if I remember correctly, I think they are in the temple grounds as that is going on, and you're not supposed to have Caesar's image there at all. And so there's, there's a problem that they can even produce that to begin with, and what it shows was some of the hypocrisy Absolutely. That, the, that the Jews were having as they were even having this argument with Jesus and trying to trap him. Uh, then there were other Jews that were saying, yes, we should pay taxes. It's okay to pay taxes. This is, this is just a part of uh, surrendering to a government that has charged of us, it's uh, you know, whatever their arguments were, they would go back and forth. And so now they're trying to get Jesus into a debate and trying to trap him. And it's really, it's really kind of sad because here you've got these two sides that normally are fight, fighting and arguing against each other. And now they don't care what answer Jesus gives. They don't care what answer Jesus gives. If Jesus says, don't pay taxes, they're going to turn them over to the Romans. If Jesus says, pay taxes, they're going to turn around and tell the Jewish people, look at this guy. He's not even a real Jew. He, he wants to, he, he wants to uh, get in bed with the Romans, and he wants to co-conspire with them. And so they don't care what his answer. They're just trying to get him trapped. They didn't understand his wisdom, though, because what he does is he turns around and says, let me see the coin. Whose image and likeness is on it? Whose image inscription? And, of course, the answer was Caesar. Caesar. Then he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. As you pointed out accurately, the reason they knew that coin was Caesar's is because his image, his likeness, his inscription is stamped on it. Then he turns around and says, so render to God the things that are God's, which makes me ask the question, what bears God's image? We do. That's man. Absolutely. Back in Genesis, when God created man, he says, I'm going to make them in my image. So here are you and I, and even though we look quite different. That's not about facial structure. It's not about uh, body size or shape. It's about the fact that God has created us as these spiritual beings in his likeness, in his, in his image. It's stamped on us. Dogs don't have the image of God. Cats don't have the image of God. Rocks, trees don't have the image of God. This, this equipment that we're sitting around here does not have the image of God. Even a picture of you 
does not have the image of God. And, and trying to create a picture of God or a statue of God does not have the image of God. But you, Jackson, have the image of God. Yes. I have the image of God. Everyone who is listening to us created in the image of God. So if I know what to give to Caesar because it has his image, how do I know what to give to God? We look at ourselves and think we give ourselves to God. And what a, what a powerful point. This, this passage that you've taken us back to is not about um, political service. It's not no. about make sure that you vote or pay your taxes. It's actually about make sure you give yourself to God. And if you give yourself to God, all of those other things will be taken care of. Yeah. And it's definitely not give your percentage to your taxes and give your percentage to God. God owns a little bit, uh, you know, what, whatever. So some people look at this and say, well, you give to Caesar your taxes, you give to God your tithe. Because, of course, this was the law. This was under the law and they had tithing. And that's, uh, that's not at all what he's saying. He's not saying God owns 10%. He's saying God owns you. You. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're, we're getting at that point. And that really does tie into having another king Jesus. Yes, absolutely. So how, how do you see that tying in as we've talked about it? So we were just talking about this idea, if we are made in the image of God, and if we're going to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, the taxes, if you will, and if we're going to give to God what is God's, and if we're made in his image and we're going to serve him, we're going to give ourselves to him. And so this idea here in Acts 17, kind of bringing back to what we just read, is this idea of us giving ourselves to Jesus because he is our king. And this would have been not well received by everyone. And that you kind of see this throughout the history of the first century Christians. The Jews like to use this kind of as their ploy here that yes. reoccurs over and over and over that they're preaching a new king. And so, but truly what it means to have Jesus as our king is service to him. We have to be willing to offer ourselves wholly, entirely to him in service. It's a bit of an ironic ploy that they have because the Jews themselves did not really care for Rome. The Jews in general did not want to serve Rome. They did not want Caesar to be their king. In fact, what they all hoped for was for the Messiah to come and cast Rome out. And so here the Messiah has come, but the kingdom he has offered is not the kind of kingdom they were expecting, and so they don't want him. He does not measure up to the kind of king they had hoped was coming. And so they uh, they turn away from him and they don't want to listen to this. Yeah, so I was just going to say going off of that, even though Jesus may not be the physical military power they're looking for to to redeem them and save them from the powers of Rome, Jesus still is a king. He is a real king. Okay, I appreciate you saying that. He is a real king because I fear for me. I fear for me. You know, I've gotten into a habit as I'm reading these texts to refer to Jesus as King Jesus. And, and, and it sounds cool and I like to say it. But sometimes it's, it's just like this novelty. If I'm not careful, it becomes just this, this really kind of neat way to refer to Jesus. And, and uh, maybe somebody will think I'm cool, though not many people. Uh, but yeah, King Jesus. And it becomes just a term. It just becomes this, this is the thing we say about Jesus. When, when they refer to another king, there's a couple of things they got right and a couple of things they got wrong. What they got wrong was this idea of what kind of kingdom Jesus was supposed to have, so they, they didn't get it. But they understood, when you call Jesus king, that actually means something. When these Christians call him king, that actually means something. That means when Jesus comes in contest with Caesar, 
who are we going to follow? Jesus. You're going to follow Jesus. And Caesar doesn't want that. The Romans don't want that. Caesar was the king. There's this great competition between Caesar and between Jesus. And, and we're seeing that beginning here. And they understood the Christians are teaching another king. There is somebody else that they're giving allegiance to. Now, one of the interesting things about it is that the Christians in teaching that Jesus was actually their king, they didn't take that to mean rebel against Rome. They didn't take that to mean take up arms. They didn't take that to mean be subversive in your communities. Actually, they were some of the best citizens. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. I think that you'll find that the honesty and the kindness and all of the love that goes with being a Christian is kind of what you'd ideally want from a typical citizen, even in Rome in that day, because these would be peaceful people that would not be trying to cause actual trouble. And it just seems like the Jews here have kind of spurred that trouble from from their hatred towards towards Christians. Yeah, I'm trying to get over to Titus here before you're done saying what you want to say here. <laughs> I just I want us to see Titus three verse one. Remind them, remind the Christians to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, sleeves, slaves, sleeves, <laughs> slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is this is the kind of citizen, the one whose king is Jesus is in the world. So really blowing the Romans' minds. Well, here we are in America, and we as Christians are to be among the best of citizens. Just what this says: submissive to rulers, obedient, ready for good works, speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, being gentle. This is. This is what we as Christian citizens in America, how we behave. But Jesus is our king. Jesus takes precedence. And we, we've got to remember that. Well, we want to know what you're learning. Give us a text. Uh, text talk at christiansmeethere.org. Text talk at christiansmeethere.org. Let's go ahead and wrap up this uh, first day of podcasting with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are so indeed thankful to you for Jesus as our king. We pray, Father, that we would submit ourselves entirely and wholly to you in service to your King. Lord, we know that in a time such as this, when we have all these governing powers above us, we could be distracted by our true governing authority, and that is you. Lord, we are so thankful for a perfect King that leads us perfectly and restores us and reconciles us with you. May we all keep this in mind, for this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians Who Meet on Livingston Avenue this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge wrote and sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so others can learn about it more easily. Have a great day. Disobedient, led astray, sleeves, slaves, sleeves, sleeves, <laughs> slaves to various passions and pleasures.